This is KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Coming up, Subversity with Dan Zhang. The opinions expressed on the show are not necessarily those of the regents of the University of California, nor the management of KUCI. Uh, this is Dan Zhang. Uh, welcome to Subversity. Uh, today we're going to follow up on our uh, last show, which focused on the uh, Israeli uh, military's massacre of peace activists uh, on a mission t- um, to deliver aid uh, and to break the blockade in Gaza. And with us in the studio is Russell Curry, who actually was on uh, a similar mission um, last summer. Uh, welcome to the show. And uh, what did you think about when you heard about the massacre last week? Um, well, yeah, I I woke up Memorial Day. Uh, I was just getting ready to enjoy, you know, just a day with my family, go see go see my family in uh, Oceanside, and just hang out. And uh, you know, every morning I just I check check my different news news stations and um, online. And I check Al Jazeera, and. Uh, their story originally initially said that 19 people had been killed, um, which of course has been been confirmed as as nine people now. But um, yeah, when I first heard that, I was just I was just floored. I I didn't know what to do. Yeah. I was you know I was so um, because this issue is so close to my heart, and I actually have been to Gaza. Uh, I was just you know very torn that day between wanting to you know go and go protest at the Israeli consulate and and you know having a day with my family that I've been planning on having for a, a month or so or over a month you know we do that every year so um you know it was a really it was a really hard day for me yeah i remember talking to you on the weekend and you, you were saying how difficult it is to make a choice between um family and and being an activist yeah uh that's it's one of the biggest things especially you know like if not everybody's going to agree with you and your family. You got to do the best you can to <laughs> to sort of um, negotiate those types of things. Because uh, I remember telling my family, like, luckily my my family's very understanding when it comes to things, whether they agree with me or not. And uh, I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go to Palestine. And just like, really? Are you sure you want to do that? I, I was like, be careful, you know. Yeah. But it wasn't. Nobody had any serious opposition to it. So I'm just thankful for that. Did they always support you uh, when you were younger, too, with yeah. your activism? Yeah, definitely. Um, my activism, I guess, has sort of grown and evolved into what it is now. You know, if I, if it hadn't been for my four years in college, I wouldn't. Oh. I wouldn't yeah. be, you know, as active as I am. But I always, you know, had a had a very strong sense of social justice, even in high school. Um, and uh, yeah, till now, it just you know, I've just learned a lot more and more and become more active and. Because I don't think people are um, necessarily born uh, activists, uh, except maybe um, you know, if you're a red diaper baby, you know, if your parents <laughs> were leftists or something. Mm-hmm. Um, how did um, how did you how do you learn about social justice issues, or was it from your own life uh, stuff that happened to you or your family? Um, you know what? I think it's a few things that sort of just threw me into it. I think um, growing up a mixed black child in, in the suburbs, like was, it really forced me, <clears throat> excuse me, really forced me to deal with a lot of things. Uh, race was always like a central topic for me, uh, mm. because I'm black, white and Asian. And, mm. um, so like people, you know, there was, there was all kinds of different, you know, racial stereotypes and jokes and stuff that, that I used to, used to get mm. made fun of. And, uh, so that thing like constantly, constantly like race was a forefront of my identity. And, um, you know, I, I just, for some reason was drawn to different issues. Uh, 
I found out, you know, I have I have heritage in Haiti. I'm actually supposed to huh. um, to visit Haiti this summer to try and, you know, help with the relief relief effort there and um, study the Haitian Revolution. I read um, CLR James's Black yeah. Jacob, Jacobins in, when yeah. I was like 16 wow. and um, and autobiography of Malcolm X, uh, Invisible Man, a bunch of these different books. And I had a lot of really great teachers as well in high school. So it just kind of, you know, naturally just evolved into to what it is now, I guess. This was in Rancho Cucamonga? Uh, yeah, Rancho oh, Cucamonga. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, born there, uh, raised my whole life, same huh. house and everything. So. so so you said you're of mixed uh, background. Um, was your father, what what heritage was? Um, Both of father? my parents are mixed, actually, oh. and uh, my father is black, white, and Japanese. Oh, wow. Yeah, my, my grandfather uh, was a military, um, fought in the fought in like all the three all the all three of the major wars of of the 20th century so he was world war ii on through uh vietnam korea fought, and vietnam. Yeah, yeah korea and vietnam he fought in everything and uh he was stationed in japan for a bit uh-huh. where he met my grandmother uh-huh. and um yeah so my grandfather's heritage he his his father came from new orleans oh and uh yeah he was mixed french irish and black and wow. uh my mom's side is is the side that's the west indian side so it's um uh Bahamian, uh Haitian. Uh I recently found out that I have a uh great great grandmother who emigrated from Sierra Leone. Wow. So yeah, it's just you know, there's so much wow. there's so much struggle that's actually just yeah. like you know in one one family yeah. line. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Do, do you identify with any particular strain uh more than other or I think um mostly because of you know, just my appearance, people always know that I'm black. And uh, just because of, you know, the history of race in the United States, yeah, sure. you know, you're you're black first, no matter what, no matter how you choose to identify. So, um, you know, that's that's been with me for my entire life. Yeah. So, I mean, I I I I give thanks and, and appreciate all of my heritage, but just I understand my position in the United States. So, yeah, because if you went uh, to Africa, say, mm-hmm. they'll probably think you're an American mm-hmm. rather than uh, African. Yeah, think? I mean, I know if I went back to China, I went to China, they'd mm-hmm. think I'm not Chinese enough, <laughs> so mm-hmm. something like that. So yeah, it's a strange thing, this ethnicity thing. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's it's so it's so amorphous. It just changes for so many yeah. different places. And do you believe this? It's we're in a post-race situation no. with Obama being elected, all that. No, absolutely not. No, yeah, no, no, no. yeah, I'm I'm not yeah. in that boat. Uh, I actually. Um, went to a panel that was held i think the worker student alliance uh mm. hosted a panel that was actually called debunking the myth of a post-racial oh, united right, states yeah. so that was that was actually really informative it was a really oh, good one i missed that one I, yeah. I did read about it yeah yeah it was it yeah. was great there were um student panelists uh friends of mine and and uh celine paris from uh from AFSME was also on oh, the yeah, panel yeah, as well. yeah, yeah. so so in terms of how people treat you locally do you you said they they see you as black primarily, mm-hmm. yeah. And you were also active in BSU. Correct. Yeah, yeah. I was a member of uh, I was a member of BSU for most of my college career, and I was also on the board. Um, I was co-chair elect. That's a long story, but yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> elect. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was it's a longer story, but okay, I didn't yeah. end up serving my term. Um, but yeah, so I was I was very involved in the black community at, at UCI yeah. as well. Did um. So how how why the interest in going to Gaza then? Um, that was really a solidarity movement mm. sort of thing. Um, so basically, uh, 
as 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 well it was then called ASU when I was when I was on the board oh, yeah. um we did a lot of solidarity work with the Muslim Student Union uh oh. because we worked in the same space a lot of times and one of the speakers that they bring out often is Amir Abdel Malik Ali oh, yeah. and um so a lot of times it was just simple things like we would co-sponsor the event where he would come out and speak about Malcolm X you know a black issue and a Muslim issue coming together yeah and um but you know uh I'm very I'm very influenced by so many different uh activists throughout you know throughout history and one one person that a lot of people like to quote although in a lot of bad contexts is is Martin Luther King Jr and you know one quote that he just that just always has influenced my life especially around solidarity is um you know injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere hmm. and that's one that was actually the theme of uh Palestine Awareness Week um, the first time that I ever actually like got involved and went to all of the mm-hmm. all the different events and and it really opened my eyes to what what the situation really is mm-hmm. in Palestine and ever since then I've been I've been a solidarity advocate as well as activist for so for the Palestinians. That was a few years ago then. That was two years ago. Two years ago. Wow. Mm-hmm. So um, how um, how did you get about uh, going on this journey then? Uh, was it hooking up with uh, the people that were already planning to go uh, yeah uh, um i actually um so i was part of the the viva palestina convoy oh yeah yeah, yeah which uh, um, controversial yeah there's been a lot of controversy <laughs> behind it or mm. associated with it so um i i had a chance to meet george galloway when he came to, oh, to yeah. uci's campus and yeah i have nothing to hide so i'll just be you know full i'll be full disclosure about it like that's the that's the combat <laughs> convoy i was a part of um, I went for the experience and, you know, the, the allegations and the, the, um, the supposed connections with, you know, terrorism are, are unfortunate and those still haven't been, you know, completely resolved, I'd like to say. So, yeah. you know, we, it, it is what it is, but I, I really did go for the, the experience and to be, um, to show my support and solidarity with, with the people of Palestine, especially Gaza, where nobody's really allowed to go in or out, and the news isn't reporting it. There's no reporters allowed for the most part. So nobody knows, nobody gets to see firsthand, and I'm, I'm so lucky that I've, that I've oh, actually yeah. been able to go. Yeah, this Galloway trip, uh, I understand from a meeting at CARE, the, the mm-hmm. Arab-American group, uh, Arab-American-Islamic relations group mm-hmm. in uh, Anaheim that... Uh, that one of the uh, one of the students here at MSU who drove him to the airport, uh, he he was telling the story at this meeting that uh, he's a former student now, and he uh, actually uh, uh, was questioned after the he had taken a picture of Galloway at Orange County Airport um, as a farewell thing, mm-hmm. and then a few days later uh, the feds show up, some or some officials showed up, and he assumed they were FBI mm-hmm. and Orange County sheriffs. Um, um, of the, from the terrorism task force, or whatever. Oh wow! And mm-hmm. they wanted to know why he was taking pictures at the airport. Mm-hmm. So I, I suspect they, w- they were more likely to be following Galloway than him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I suspect I'm sure they follow Galloway everywhere. He's actually a, a MP, a mili- uh, I mean, a <laughs> member of parliament, not <laughs> yeah, military, not police, military police. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> a left wing MP from uh, England, mm-hmm. uh, from UK, and so uh, I'm sure they, you know. They were surveilling him, I suppose, and um, so this net uh, dragged in the MSU student at the mm-hmm. time. But it's it's uh, ironic because um, 
the LAPD just uh, announced that they're uh, rolling out this uh, watch thing, uh, asking citizens to report on uh, suspicious-looking people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which, and whatever that means now. Yeah, whatever you know. that means. Have you ever been uh, sus- uh, subject to this kind of surveillance? Um, I was told to expect my, my phone to be tapped um, mm. when, you know, I signed up for the convoy, uh, just because of, you know, the, these types of these types of investigations and stuff that have been happening. Uh, so I, I never got any confirmation as to whether it was or not, but I was, you know, we we understood that our information was was pretty much public to sure. the State Department, <clears throat> yeah. and um, you know for that matter the FBI or CIA or whoever else wanted to you know find out more info on us. So we we all treated our our information and correspondence as if it was. Um, I think people should do that anyways. You know? Yeah, yeah. But yeah. Um, this privacy is an illusion actually in the in the kind of digital age. Yeah, especially after you know in a post Patriot Act America, there's no yeah. It's it is completely an illusion. But um, yeah, so I haven't you know come face to face with anything like that. But I've yeah I've I've dealt with with those types of things. Did you have to get visas or something? How did you was was the were the people in the flotilla or or the the aid group? Uh, do they have to get official paperwork to do do this or go on this? Um. Uh. No, we didn't have anything um to do before we got to Egypt. But our convoy left. Um. We flew from New York to Egypt and oh. and drove from Egypt to Gaza. Uh. So after we got there, we you know the Egyptian embassy put us through a bunch of different hoops and um said we need to sign an affidavit form that I still have that was never collected. Um, there was just all kinds of bureaucracy. You know, red tape and, yeah. and bureaucracy, exactly. So, um, yeah, but before we left, I don't believe that there was anything specific that we needed to do. Uh, generally, Americans going to uh, Egypt don't need uh, visas beforehand. No, not beforehand. You're able yeah. to purchase a, a visa for $15 at the airport oh, right when you enter. Oh, oh. So, yeah, it's it's pretty simple. Then the was it a, bo- a ship then that a boat that left from well, how did it um well yeah we all we flew from uh, JFK Airport in New York and landed in Cairo and we stayed there for um we stayed there for a few days like organizing wow. and gathering supplies and things and uh, we were supposed to drive up it was it was a uh, land oh yeah 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 driving oh, oh right right driving convoy. Um, so, at that yeah. time, where they closed the border, was the border closed? Mm-hmm. Um, oh. Yeah, I was actually when I was walking on on the way to the studio, I was reading on my phone. Uh, there's an article about um, Egypt has just opened the border. Right. Uh, so I mean, it's been open sporadically from time to time. I mean, if you have enough negotiation power, as we did when we went, mm-hmm. um, it's it's really it's really sad. Just you know the types of the the types of um, sort of hypocrisy there is to it you know like we got to go in 200 americans because of our privilege and oh. uh you know we saw people who had been waiting outside the border for months oh i see just yeah. waiting to you know to see their families on the other side and um yeah we we were able to go and they're they're just kept there you know stay because the they they didn't want bad press maybe from the international community um yeah i mean there's there's so many different justifications yeah. that, that they'll they'll provide for it uh I mean, the biggest of which is always uh, anti-counterterrorism and, and national security, but... Yeah, um, even Egypt. Yeah, even Egypt. Yeah, even yeah. Even Egypt. But, 
Um, I think the biggest, I think with Egypt, it's, it's just sort of because it is, it is because it is, you know? Yeah. And they, yeah, they cite a lot of national, national security reasons. But, um, one thing to keep in mind is that after, after Israel, Egypt gets the most in, in foreign aid from the United States oh, wow. out of any other country. <laughs> wow. The so, second highest then. Huh? Yeah. And it's, you know, because of its position with, with Gaza, it's, it's really no surprise. So, um, yeah, that's, <clears throat> excuse me. Yeah, that's, that's probably one of the biggest reasons for their wow. complicity in the, in the siege. Did you get to see anything in Egypt, uh, tourist wise? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, we, we actually were a little bit behind schedule. So I did get to go to the pyramids and wow. yeah, uh, Traveled on the Nile and you know what things that, like that. What was the what were the pyramids like? Yeah. The pyramids are amazing. I mean, it was sort of a bittersweet type of thing because this was like our our first few days in mm. in uh, we were staying actually in Giza, but uh, and we just wanted to. We were all there for a specific reason, sure. and we just we couldn't fully enjoy ourselves out. You know, we were doing it just to kill time. Yeah. So. Um, I might go back, but yeah, Cairo's not really one of my favorite places in the world, especially because of uh we didn't get the the best treatment from um from the government there and stuff like that uh while we were there there's a lot of there's a lot of like I said bureaucracy and yeah. hindrance and things but um the people of egypt are just they're amazing they're they're just uh the people who who don't perceive themselves as having uh as being privileged and uh, yeah, yeah. The, the common everyday people, people in Egypt yeah. are just are just amazing people who as soon as you let them know that what we were doing and why we were there they were immediately able to help or uh, oh, just yeah. on a whim wanted to help out wow. in any way they could um a friend of mine was recounting a story cuz him and I were in the in the same truck that was driving all the way to Gaza from Cairo and there's a a guy that pulled up on on the side of us and he had a towel in his car and uh, he was just like, here, just take this with oh, you, like uh, because he just wanted to help in any way that he could, yeah, yeah, you know, what, uh, no matter how big or small. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, the people of the people of most of the countries in the surrounding area, um, by and large, are are very much in support of of Palestine's rights sure. and, yeah. and self determination, but it's the governments that aren't. In terms of ethnicity, did they treat you any differently? Uh, um, a lot of people. You know, since I am so light skinned, a lot of people think that <laughs> a lot of people spoke Arabic to me. Um, oh, wow. yeah, thinking that I was um, from the region, you know, yeah. whatever North African or something. Um, so I got that a lot, especially uh, one thing I notice about mixed people. Um, if you're around a group of people that that mostly look like one ethnicity, you tend to be lumped in with them. If yeah, you're yeah. sort of on the border. Oh, I see. So yeah, a lot of my friends that I was with were were Arab Arab Muslim or um, or uh, East Indian Muslim or some or something along those lines. So you know, a lot of people would would assume I was that. Or if I was with uh, some of the other black people that were on the convoy, um, they would assume I was black too. So you know, I'm just kind of one of those <laughs> outliers appearance wise. But it's uh, contextual. Yeah, I guess. exactly. Yeah. It's it's all it's Depends all in, it's all in the context. Um, yeah. So yeah, as far as race is concerned in Egypt, um, it's very different there. Uh, there's the the southern Egyptians, uh, the Nubians, are are the darker skinned yeah. people, and they've still, you know, it's it's the same for darker skinned people yeah. all over the world. You know, that suffer more more oppression than than others. So, um, I didn't get to like experience too much of that firsthand. Where we were, that we didn't run into too many 
uh, to many of the, the Nubian folks. But um, how about TV? Was was there more light sk- lighter skin? Uh, yeah, people definitely. on on TV. Mm-hmm. Definitely, like the news reporters and yeah. and things like that. I yeah. mean, we we ended up watching. There's a lot of American press or American TV on on there as oh, well. I see. So. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, for the most part. Uh, yeah, it's like I, I think it's like Mexico, right? If you go to Mexico, mm-hmm. you also get a lot of lighter skin um, newscasters yeah. and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The Philippines as well. Oh yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. India. Yeah, yeah. I think during the remember during the Vietnam War, a lot of people wanted to uh, change their eye eyes experience, eyes shape of the eyes or something, yeah. nose, whatever. So yeah, that's still the, some of the elite South Vietnamese would try to get operations like that. Mm. Yeah. So um, yeah, how about uh, okay? So you get to the border. Where, did you have to wait a long time? Yeah, uh, we got there. I want to say we got there sometime in the morning, early afternoon, um, and we weren't allowed through until about nine o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. Um, mostly, we we assumed to to minimize the the um, the reception that we got. Um, because, you know, daytime, uh, people had been waiting there for us all day. Oh, on the other side. Yeah, on the oh. other side of the border. People were there oh. all day. And they stayed all throughout the night um, wow. to, to receive us. And, yeah, we were greeted with the warmest welcome. Uh, the people the people in Gaza are hands down the most gracious, amazing, um, selfless, like warm-hearted, caring people that I've ever met in my entire life. Hmm. Uh, and um, some of these people were actually representatives, like part of the Hamas party. Uh-huh. And like these are just you know it's it's really it's really unfortunate I think that we um, we characterize an entire group which is indeed a political party yeah. as a terrorist organization I think that's completely unfair um, it is the law of the land but it's it's a mistake in my in my point of view because um, uh, it's you know they were democratically elected and yeah. they they were. Uh, whether or not we agree with them, that's still something. If we if we say that we're pro democracy, yeah. that's something that we have to abide by, <laughs> and we should hold you know we should hold that as the standard. Um, it's and only democracy of the people that get elected they they like exactly. They like. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's proven itself to be the case for for centuries. So, how does uh, I mean why do they why do you think uh, I mean it's also. It's not just uh, labeling Hamas itself as a terrorist group. Now, anything that they did in the past or any offshoots that mm-hmm. did um, community work, for instance, charitable work, is now considered a terrorist, supporting terrorism in the U.S. Uh, so if you gave money to a charity that turned out to be giving money to Hamas, then you're, 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 you're made a, uh, a terrorist also, or uh, supporting terrorists. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's so similar to the red baiting. You know, yeah, it's it's yeah. uh it's something that you know is not going to be spoken about on the on the news. Like it's not going to be questioned. Um, but we do need to question it. We do need to understand that it's not fair. Uh, that's it's just it's a chilling effect. You know, it's 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 that's all it is. Um, I mean there there are people who would genuinely like to do harm to to the United States. I mean they're but they're not all terrorists either. Um. So I think we need to understand like what what types of things that our foreign policy can do to ensure on our end we can do to ensure our own our own national security and uh you know there's so much there's so much 
focusing on the the side of the the folks who often are oftentimes are oppressed and what do we do with all of our privilege and power um on our side did um so in terms of the convoy mm-hmm. was it um a, a number of trucks that that were moving stuff in uh trying to get aid into Gaza mm-hmm. um it was originally going to be uh a bunch of cars like uh oh. And they were going to be donated to um, to non-government organizations, uh, converted into different things. Like the bigger trucks could be converted into into ambulances, and oh. um, yeah, there were there were other cars that could have been you know converted to just just handle different business for for these different NGOs uh, within Gaza. But the Egyptian government wouldn't let those through anymore. So what ended up happening, and we were going to divide the aid between all the cars so we could just, you know. Oh, I see. Yeah. But what ended up happening was we just put it onto a few trucks um, that drove all the way. And then to um, transport all of the different people, we had 200, we had over 200 people. Wow. Uh, to transport all the people, we had about three buses that drove all the way. Um, so, yeah, it was all all by land. And um, that was, yeah, that was the essential way that it all got there. Why wouldn't they let the cars go to the border they knew you were going to deliver the cars then um or they figured it out you know what to be honest with you there are some legal technicalities about it that i don't quite remember all the details Mm -hmm. of Mm -hmm. it's been almost a year now so i just remember that yeah there from from different accounts that i've heard that there was a possibility that they could have gone in um but with the most recent viva palestina convoy that went through those same vehicles were allowed in oh so they're there now um, was but, Galloway on your convoy? Oh. Yeah, he was. Oh. He was. Um, he would be back and forth. Uh, if he had had to do a speaking engagement or something like that to yeah. bring more awareness, yeah. he would he would fly somewhere and do a you know do a TV show or something like that. But uh, he was with us when we actually entered. Um, but he had to go and do another speaking engagement the day that we got <laughs> in. So uh, he was there and then had to go. But um, yeah, he was there in, in large capacity. So is the controversy resolved here about whether or not, I mean, the some of the Zionist students uh, or groups outside are claiming that that his appearance here led to raising money for Hamas or something. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, is that over now, this allegation? I or? think people have forgotten about it. Uh, th- people have stopped thinking about it, especially after the uh, Irvine 11. Um, oh, yeah. I, I think that that took more of a forefront of, of people's minds. But I remember the Zionist Organization of America was uh, accusing the right. MSU of, at UCI specifically oh, right. of contributing to Hamas for uh-huh. um, fundraising at a Galloway event, which, you know, I thought was absurd. Just like, why why them specifically? Um, as opposed to saying, you know, calling out the whole organization, which, which also is being investigated. But... Um, but the ZOA specifically was was only against the the MSU here, um, and yeah, I think that uh, the last I've heard there, I haven't heard any updates about it. So I believe that the investigation is still happening from the outside or from, from I believe the that the UCI uh, administrations. Oh, the local. Yeah, yeah the local one. Um, I haven't heard any news about the the FBI investigation. I've also heard conf- a conflicting story that there was never an FBI investigation on oh. the MSU. So, um, yeah, there's a lot to, there's a lot of, I, yeah. I was doing lots of research, but I didn't get to get yeah. to the bottom of a few things. Yeah. Yeah. It's confusing. Yeah. Yeah. It's all over the place. Yeah. The, uh, so, so when you get there and you, you, um, 
you meet them and you said the welcome was wonderful mm-hmm. uh did you get to stay in uh, go into Gaza and then stay with people there or uh, what happened after that um yeah. our original plan was to be able to stay uh for three days with with um different families who would be hosting us wow um but what happened was like I said we were delayed um so we ended up just having the 24 hours uh-huh. um and uh we found that we were actually able to stay uh at some of the soon to be operational again hotels that they had uh just because we all had to be at a bunch of we had they had to house a bunch of people for 24 yeah, hours instead of, people, of yeah. spreading us out all over Gaza um so and these i mean it's it's really amazing to me how how well uh Gaza was able to be kept together despite having been bombed for 22 days straight um the people the people there just have you know they have so much pride and so much so much dignity that it's it's almost like they wouldn't let they they wouldn't let anything look as if um it was beyond their control to to do something about it uh it's not i mean of course there were there were buildings that were just completely demolished and destroyed yeah but aside from those you know the the parts of the city that were functioning were still able to function for the most part um i mean children are starving and yeah, people yeah. were you know people had people won't the thing is that they won't let you know that they're suffering you know mm. um they I, f- I feel that the people there don't don't want to take charity it's it's mm-hmm. more of um they would but they gladly accepted our solidarity mm-hmm. um because you know the palestinians are are the most educated people in the middle east um you know there's if if it wasn't for for occupation they would be you know they would be the crown jewel of democracy in mm-hmm. in in the middle east and uh i think that that's really you know something that's that's really it's really unfortunate that that the situation is the way it is because um you know all these things that that uh people say that the middle east isn't palestine actually is but nobody knows it yeah yeah was there running water and uh, electricity and all that um yeah but sparingly uh mm. there was there was running water um i think that uh the electricity i remember when we drove in at nine o'clock um there was there were zero lights on mm. um aside from you know our headlights and um candles wow yeah there's there's just no lights no street lights yeah none uh-huh. uh street lights are there but there's just there's no power going to them uh-huh. um so yeah one of the things we wanted to bring in that was really important was we're electric we're electric Generator. generators yeah, yeah um but i don't believe that yeah i don't believe we were able to bring those in subsequent convoys might have been able to yeah but those are and i i believe the uh the flotilla had had con- had uh generators as well but that those goods aren't going to be able to get in either um what do you think of this uh israeli um stance that now they they seem to be saying that you can come to the border and or one port i suppose and uh they were screened for weapons <laughs> and then they'll let you in that kind of argument and they come they to make, the oh uh, to the israeli border or the border or one of the ports in gaza maybe or mm-hmm. or maybe yeah maybe I'm, I'm not sure where but um so basically the the new argument may be that they they will let people the aid in if they get to screen for weapons 
I think that would be, you know, a vast improvement to what's going on now. I mean, the the situation now is just is it's sad bordering on ludicrous. Um or it is ludicrous, you know, uh to to just intercept aid ships in the middle of international water before they have they've even had a chance to to be screened by Israeli authorities um is ludicrous, especially to not trust the 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 screenings that happened before they left um and it's not you know it's not the first time that that eight ships have been turned away or or pulled off of course mm-hmm. um so i i'm actually unaware of that policy when when did that come out the, the, they didn't the, well the times the maybe the new i'm reading the new york times maybe they're saying that it's going to happen okay uh, likely i don't know if it's uh, i mean they're under a lot of pressure of course now given the um, they messed it up uh, to do something different, uh, they're not going to end the blockade totally. Okay. It yeah. Looks like. Huh. Uh, yeah, I I doubt that. Um, I feel that that Israel just is not going to allow an end to the blockade because of their their fear of a terrorist attack. Uh, is is something that's <laughs> is their justification. Yeah. Um, so I think that that would be a much improved situation. It's still. I I think the. Um, you know their fear of of having of being attacked by you know uh, people in the Gaza Strip, which is which is governed by Hamas, is sort of the the part of the story that's that's not really told is that most of the um, most of the attacks have been you know after the ceasefire when the twenty two day offensive started. Um, the 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 breaking of the ceasefire was actually done on the part of Israel. Yeah. And okay. um so, you know, like I said earlier, there's a lot of things that the US should probably look into doing to ensure its own national security abroad. Um I think that one of the best things that Israel could do yeah. to ensure its own national security is is treat people that it has that it has been occupying as human beings and, and with dignity. I mean if if um People don't hate people for the sake of their freedom. I'm sorry, George Bush, George W. Bush, but that's not, you know, for the sake of their perceived freedoms. Um, you know, there's I, I felt much more free in Gaza than I have than I did at any point as a U.S. citizen. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I just I don't think that it's it's really I don't think that it's really justified by by any sense of reality or any um, anything that we have proof of. So I think that. You know, if Israel is so so bent, so concerned that they're going to be attacked, they they should act and and treat others with the same. You know, it's the golden rule. It's it's very simple. That's true. My, yeah. I mean, at this point, there's probably a lot of people that that aren't so happy with with them, and I think that that might be a, a concern of theirs. But I think for the most part that um that people would would be able to to resolve things diplomatically if if there weren't so many uh human rights violations and and uh and violations of of international law in the way i think even within israel there are people speaking out like you are saying like you are saying uh, like you what you're saying i mean mm-hmm. uh, although the, i read the jerusalem post uh, a day after the the you know massacre last weekend they were calling all those protesters in uh jerusalem uh, leftists. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They just dismissed them as leftists. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but there is, of course. I mean, I mean, Israel is not um, uniform society. Obviously. Yeah, in no way is it a monolithic, you right. know, entity of of thought for the, for its citizens. And I apologize if I gave that impression earlier. But um, yeah, when I say Israel, I mean the the actions of the of the Israeli government. Um, but yeah, there there is a huge um, there's a huge movement in Israel to um, to end the blockade and yeah. to to you know. And the uh, and the occupation. The, uh, on this campus, the, have you? What do you think of this olive tree initiative? Um, I would. I mean, I would compare the olive tree initiative to. Uh, there's, there's a lot. I I don't know enough. I haven't been on olive tree initiative, but I I really do feel that uh, it's based in such a centrist to right narrative mm. of of the situation there it's a person to person kind of cultural change exchange kind exactly of it's not based in politics whatsoever oh. um and from my understanding of it um i'm welcome to receive any emails or letters about it <laughs> but uh from my understanding and and from the stories that i've heard about about people who go on all tree you know there's you meet with people from both sides and you hear all the different stories about a the personal anecdotes about what's going on, but um, I'm not sure that there's any, you know, political analysis of international law of, mm. um, of what the siege is like. I mean, you're not allowed to, they, they don't go to Gaza. Right. They can't. Yeah. There's no way that they go to Gaza. So there's, you know, there's a huge, huge part of the story missing. Um, and yeah, there's, there's just a lot, there's a lot to learn about, about the situation that, um, that you wouldn't be able to just, just by visiting and and breaking bread with people. I mean, there's there's a whole lot you do learn and a whole lot to gain. But yeah, um, yeah, I think that from sort of a cultural cultural understanding and cultural awareness perspective, that doesn't lend any uh, that doesn't lend too much um, possibility for for serious and structural change in the area. It reminds me of uh, in the old days. Uh, maybe they still do it when they do. Um, events on campus mm-hmm. they would have cultural shows for each ethnic group mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was just kind of a stuck in time kind of thing almost nostalgia for the past and it doesn't i mean it's just cultural awareness but it doesn't deal with the actual politics of the situation of mm-hmm. any ethnic any group any ethnic group that's on campus yeah so um it's just more kind of a, a kind kind of a namby pamby kind of yeah, thing, and yeah. and that sort of goes along with the era that you're in, that we're in. I mean, you mentioned the idea of a post-racial, mm, of, of yeah. a post-racial United States. Um, I think you know cultural, cultural multicultural or liberal multiculturalism is something yeah. that's just you know assumed to be the way that it is, and we don't have to talk about issues of politics and because we have a black president, but um, mm-hmm. and and things and things of that nature. We have a we have the first Korean mayor in the United States in, in Irvine, so race isn't an issue all, all of a sudden. But um, yeah, there's there's so many things just based on that sort of perspective that that I believe that olive tree is sort of in in the same realm. Mm-hmm. Um, you see, you see, you can really see the types of uh, perspectives and and narratives that are left out. What do you think of this? Um Climate Council, uh, Campus Climate Council. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's uh, the UC president uh, asked each campus chancellor 
to a former co- uh, committee, and it's called the Campus Council, uh, Climate Council. Uh, after the Orin uh, uh, debacle, I guess whatever. <laughs> and, uh, oh, so that they're they're picking a lot of people. Like Jesse Chang is on it, and really some people. Uh, I need to talk to Jesse about that. <laughs> <laughs> so they have only met a couple, maybe a couple, once or twice, once or twice. And uh, I don't know what they're going to do, but uh, I, I, I. But the the head of global peace is on it, I think, and uh, some professors are on it, and some. And mostly professors, it seems, and some maybe MSU is supposed to have somebody on it. Mm. Um, uh, I think it sounds like a big waste of time. Um, it's just <laughs> you know, it's a diversion to make fe- people feel comfortable, is what it sounds like to me. Uh, gosh, can't I think they're going to come up with new rules. Yeah, or recommended new rules, uh, con- uh, behavioral con- uh, and conduct. Uh, recommendations, I guess. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw some some things that make um, protesting and and free speech uh, even more uh, tightened and and sort of suffocating than they are. I mean, it's it's already so restricted, restrictive and repressive. Um, you know, we have an hour that we can use amplified sound on campus. Oh, right. That you have to apply for a permit for and. Um, we have a designated free speech zone, you know. I think the the concept of that, I mean, that's that's at every UC, but the concept of that is is sort of absurd if you really think about it. Like to have um, pr- legitimized protest, uh, protests of what protest is aren't able to happen. Then, did you see the video they made? Uh, 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 the music video? Is no, that the, the, the about? Or? the UC made this video. Uh, uh, communications office with this, uh, these professors that have created this new high-tech uh, screen that has, uh, I don't know, 24 or 48 images on the screen. It was at CalIT. They displayed it. It was a s- startup company that got NSF funding originally to do research on displaying data on um, huge screens. And mm. they sold it to some intelligence agency abroad. And uh, so one of the free projects, I guess, they're willing to work with faculty here, was to um, demonstrate free speech on campus. So the university uh, filmed all the demonstrators and uh, even people jumping on, uh, you know, <laughs> on the day when uh, the 17 students went mm-hmm. uh, Oh, people jumping the, on dumpsters? Yeah, they showed that as, as evidence of free speech at Irvine. Mm-hmm. Of course, they didn't show the inside on, of the administration oh, building. Of course not. They didn't show the hallway being occupied. Mm-hmm. That wasn't... That was uh, illegal activity, I guess. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> Which, so outside by the way, free the, speech. their punishment still hasn't been been decided. There's and the Irvine Eleven still haven't been adjudicated. N- neither of them, neither. Yeah, neither group. I, my guess is that it's they're being they're waiting until um until summertime. Oh, when the students are gone, so mm-hmm. there's no protests. Exactly. Um, exactly. Well, you you were part of one of them. Um. Uh, yeah, I was. I was a participant outside of the um. The Irvine 17, 17. City. yeah, yeah. So yeah, I I was helping people rally outside to bring attention to the fact that they were sitting in. So the, yeah, they did send a I think a university person taking a video and uh, pictures, I guess. And uh, I remember I was in some of the pictures uh, that <laughs> appeared on <laughs> in the register on the UCI homepage, mm-hmm. uh, taking pictures of them, taking pictures of me, I guess. And <laughs> but. Uh, it's just ironic to me that the university would be using this as evidence of free speech when inside they were arresting people. It just yeah. didn't make any sense to me. Yeah, it's, well, you know, they get to control the narrative that way, so. 
Yeah, for sure. Um, the uh, the the thing that really bothers me also is this idea that student conduct applies not just to activities on campus but also off campus, mm-hmm. and um, the student conduct code apparently applies to anything you do that um, gives the UCI a bad name, and um, because uh, John Bruning was participating in um, demonstration at Fullerton, mm-hmm. and uh, so they uh, brought. Uh, you know, c- conduct charges against him. Yeah. And uh, I think the Fullerton authorities actually did fine the people over there $300, and they have to donate money to uh, uh, some worthy cause, uh, uh, hmm. some abuse uh, center, <laughs> and then they will get the arrest record uh, expunged. Oh, interesting. Uh, but I don't know about the conduct part. The, the campus uh, was holding out this kind of whip over them, Saying that even stuff you do at Fullerton is subject to review by uh, Edgar, I guess his name is, mm-hmm. the head of student conduct mm-hmm. at UC Irvine, which I'd never heard of before. It just sounds kind of strange that um, UCI would control what students do when they're off campus. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. I, I know that um, it says somewhere in the in the student conduct code that um, it. Yeah, I think it's been there for for quite a while that it applies on yeah. and off campus, but I've never seen them enforce it. Yeah, before. I've never seen it enforced. But yeah, Angela Davis was on campus, uh, you know, last quarter, and she and one of her talks, she said that in San Diego, they had taken over, you know, ethnic buildings and renamed them mm-hmm. uh, Lumumba House and all that. And at UC San Diego, when she was a student, and nobody got arrested. Uh, it just seems now you, you can do even just regular sit-ins, and you get arrested. I mean, it just seems a change in um, tactics by the university. Mm-hmm. It seems uh, much more um, of a crackdown kind of mode. Yeah, very repressive. Very. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't really understand the the need for such extreme measures um, right away. But I mean, I'm fine with them doing it as long as there's there's students who are still willing to you know stand up and and yeah. point point to the fact that this is repressive and it's too much. Um, because arrests are always going to make news. Yeah, and I think a lot of times they've like they arrested John Bruning, but then never brought charges against him in the first incident. Mm-hmm. Uh, although they could rack it up, and you know, I mean, they could hold it against you later, I suppose. As, mm-hmm. You know, so it's so there's always this threat there. How about at the Orin talk? Were you there? No, uh, mm-hmm. I really, really wanted to be there. I, I had car troubles that day. <laughs> um, yeah, unfortunately, but I had fully planned to be there. Um, yeah, so I wish I was. But what? <laughs> yeah, that that one day. I mean, I, I they will get they're getting legal representation from the lawyers guild and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I think it would work its way out. Uh, and I'm not sure the gov- the this government. I mean, the university would want a court case because then they will be subject to discovery. Mm-hmm. And you could get a lot of documents uh, <laughs> that that's could expose true. a lot of uh, behind-the-scenes stuff. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, for instance, the the UCIPD have admitted right that they have torn or they the students have shown video, have put up pictures from a video that they've taken of police tearing down posters mm-hmm. uh, for legitimate free speech activity mm-hmm. on campus. And uh, I did ask uh, Manuel Gomez, the student vice chancellor, about that, and he's he 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 said that he was waiting for complaints about that. 
<laughs> he doesn't act on on anything except complaints, I guess. <laughs> Apparently, yeah. <laughs> Injustice isn't a problem; it's just complaints. complaints well, he he didn't agree with it. I okay. mean, he he agreed that they shouldn't have taken it down. Okay, but it. he was waiting for something, you know, some student to to complain to him officially. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know a lot of students don't want to complain, uh, or or write com- file complaints with police. Mm-hmm. But I think that that's the way the system works. I think, unfortunately, the, they can point to the fact there's no complaints, therefore everything's fine. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, that's so it point. is a kind of a problem, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, do you have you had been had harassed by been harassed uh, by police yourself at all growing up and or uh, even on campus? No, actually, I mean, I I haven't had any any rough spots with police or anything. Um, uh i mean i've had i've i have plenty of family members and friends who have um yeah but yeah i think you know a lot of it is just where i grew up um my parents you know i don't i don't really get into the same sort of um i don't get profiled the same way that a lot of my friends and family you wear baggy pants no (laughs) (laughs) no i don't um yeah i helped some kids actually in 90s they were um, Vietnamese and Hmong, and they were wearing baggy pants, which was the style. Mm-hmm. They were high school kids, mm-hmm. and the police stopped them, took their pictures, and uh, for their gang computers and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So, eventually, we 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 got the ACLU involved, and they sued the Garden Grove police, and got reached a settlement. Mm-hmm. So that um, that kind of took care of it, except that uh, um, the the settlement didn't ban taking up pictures. It just said. Um, you had to ask the uh, the police had to ask uh, permission, <laughs> which I'm sure they don't. <laughs> yeah, not usually. Um, we actually experienced that uh, at a few of these protests that have happened. Just numerous different ones. Um, I can't name any of the specific ones off the top of my head, but we've uh, seen police taking pictures yeah. of, of us, and you know, no permission asked at all. Yeah, I guess that. I mean, it's the same argument I use actually. Is I've taken pictures of police in a public setting, and it's a public area. Mm-hmm. And one time I took a picture of um, police uh, stopping some teenagers who were accused of skateboarding, mm-hmm. and I was walking down the steps from the library, uh, and I saw this happen, so I took out my camera, I took pictures, and the cops had no pictures. And I said, I'm a reporter. It's <laughs> 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 a public area. Mm-hmm. So, And then the kid said, take it, take it, take it. <laughs> so I took it, and then I gave out my card. I have a Know Your Rights card. I gave it to them. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, so later, the I went to the police station to file a complaint. Uh, this was on the weekend, so on Monday I went to the police station, and he's the cop at the station at the UCI police said, "What are you complaining about?" In a loud voice, you know, in the lobby. So I had to. I said, "I'm not going to talk in the lobby. There were people there, you know." Mm-hmm. So I said, "I'll go see the whatever the the station, the duty officer, I guess." Mm-hmm. So I went inside and told them, and so they had me file a, a written complaint, and then on. A few days later, this they called me at the office, at my office, and said, "How do you want to punish this policeman?" I said, "I don't want to punish him. I just want him to know what the constitutional rights are of people and what the law says." Um, and so he, so that was fine. So, uh, so then I didn't hear anything until two months later, and then the cop calls me up and said, "You are a librarian. Uh, maybe you can help me look up uh, some constitutional issue book." Because they they asked me to they, to go back to school to look up constitutional law. This one cop <laughs> that said I couldn't take pictures. 
<laughs> so anyway, <laughs> I said, oh, I'll be glad to help you. So uh, <laughs> I didn't want him fired. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So n- now he's my buddy, I think. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, but he, during the demonstrations, he said, oh, you want to take a picture with me? Uh, he wants to take a picture with me. I said, no, no, thank you. <laughs> um, so um, I think the it's just that it's bad training, basically. Yeah, they just don't, aren't trained in a way that respects people. Um, the rights of protesters and um, I'm just worried that it's just going to get worse uh, because now they have to the the university has to show to the public that it's cracking down I guess because of this incident with the ambassador Um, they want to you know show that everybody's acting civilly and that these are bad 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 people and we have to punish them Mm -hmm. I just yeah I just don't really um Yeah, I just don't really understand the uh the the lack of, you know, there's there's no there's no uh dialogue between it. You know, there's just no way that there's no way that a a police officer could ever be considered to be in the wrong, you know. But uh mm. at least in the public discourse for the most part. Yeah, um, I was amazed uh, to hear about that bot case. You know, mm-hmm. the San Francisco case in which uh, a guy was killed? Yeah, on Oscar bar- Grant. Right. Mm-hmm. And that that was the first time a, a law enforcement officer in California was actually going to trial. First time in, in the country. In the country? Yeah. Wow. Country. Yeah. Um, so it's it's a huge, huge case. The the uh, the case is actually in Los Angeles right, right now. Right, they moved it, you know. So um, that's, yeah, that's something that I'm I'm definitely going to be a big part of as much as I can. Um, which actually to, to sort of bring things back to, to Palestine, (laughs) if I could, I think, uh, one thing that I didn't really get to touch on was, um, now that we're running out of time, I just want to have five minutes. Yeah. Uh, like I, I got involved in, in Palestinian in the, in the Palestinian cause because of the, the, um, similarities I saw between the position of Palestinians in, in Palestine and, and the occupied territories and, and black people in the United States, um, and actually, when it came to, I didn't exactly understand how similar it was until I got to uh, hear what's his name here, William Robinson speak at um at the MSU's oh, most yeah. recent. Yeah, they brought him out to speak, and William Robinson's a professor from UC Santa Barbara who actually uh, compared um, compared Israel to to Nazi Germany. Hmm. Um, and has a lot of a lot of pretty compelling evidence behind him that's very interesting, you know, saying that uh, Gaza is like the Warsaw Ghetto. Um, but anyway, so mm. during his talk, one of the most interesting things, um, earlier I, I sort of compared, uh, you know, the West Bank and, and the occupation there to to the Jim Crow South mm-hmm. uh, for black people in the United States. And, and uh, Gaza was sort of just, you know, um, even more repressive than that, sort of a, a, a like the transatlantic the transatlantic pr- passage you know um just an area where there's just no there's no hope there's no mm-hmm. there's just nothing but suffering and those are the sort of similarities that i drew but um for palestine as a whole uh i learned um at dr robinson's talk that after after 90 1993 um palestinian labor was no longer needed mm. um by the greater state of israel so that basically created what what 
he calls in, I guess it's a sociological term, but a surplus population mm. where um, the labor of a certain group is no longer needed and um, but their resources are. Mm. So, and that's very, and he, he himself compared that to, to what black folks in the United States face as, um, you know, basically the, the prison population, but not part of the workforce anymore because we're so dependent on, um, on migrant labor. Uh-huh. Um, so instead of employing, instead of employing black people, um, you know, we've shut down so many, shut down so many industries that used to work yeah. in, in black neighborhoods. And now people are, are incarcerated in such high rates and are working, you know, the slave, the slave labor jobs Maybe, there for, yeah. in the prison industrial complex. And once I put all, once he and myself put all these connections together, I, I understood even more how much of a solidarity activist and advocate yeah. I needed to be. Um, and yeah, so the, the situation is actually exact, almost exactly the same for, for people in, for the Palestinian people and, and for blacks in the United States. Because they can't work, right? There's no jobs there in the Gaza. Yeah, Gaza, um, you know, there's no, the, the economy is so broken. Uh, there's, you know, there's no imports or exports. And, um, I believe I've, I've read, I've read differing reports, but I've read something about like 44% unemployment or something even higher. And, mm, um, yeah. I've also heard 80% unemployment. Yeah. Because um, uh, some of them that used to work on the other side couldn't cross the border. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, all, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, as soon as, as soon as the ruling class doesn't need you anymore, then what happens is, is things that sort of look like genocide or, or just, spendable. You know, yeah, expensive. Uh, yeah. Um it's just amazing that the media, initial media after the even after the recent events last week was pretty much uh, a lot of it was kind of focused on the Israeli Defense Force point of view. Mm-hmm. You know. Partly because they they locked everybody up and they had yeah. a blackout, right? Yeah, confiscated all the media that they had to. Yeah, yeah. and they couldn't uh, reach out as much. Uh, unless you read, you know, unless you got to uh, alternative sources, probably. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, but the mainstream media was pretty much towing the line of the Israelis, uh, and even Orin himself wrote the editorial uh, op-ed in the LA Times, I believe, or maybe New York Times, and he said that this was uh, a ship of terrorists. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, it's easy to use that label. <laughs> yeah, of course. That yeah. that legitimizes all the. Everything that all their actions that they took. Yeah, so. it's just oh, I guess we're out of time. Yeah, <laughs> six o'clock. So thank you. We've been talking with Russell Curry about his uh, journey to the Gaza last year and reflections on campus climate. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks again for having me. We have our own council here um, <laughs> on campus climate. Um, so thank you. Um, Absolutely, anytime. Yeah, and uh, this is Dan Zhang signing off for Subversity here on KUCI eighty-eight point nine. FM in Irvine.